This event in the life of Jesus that we remember today is the day when, as we just heard, he took his three closest disciples, Peter, John, and James, and went up probably Mount Tabor. The scripture doesn't say exactly which mountain, but probably Mount Tabor. And in an instant, Mark just sort of comes out and says it. He was visually, physically transformed before them. It's so fantastic, but let me just keep repeating what happened because it's kind of strange and wonderful and we need to really believe what we've heard because um, there's a danger of thinking of this as just some fairy tale. It's so fantastic, but it's far from a fairy tale. He went from looking just like an ordinary human being, like you and me, one moment, to all of a sudden just dazzling. The Matthew, the Gospel writer, includes the detail that his face shone like the sun and his clothes, all the Gospel writers record, that his clothes instantly transformed from whatever drab hues an average Galilean man would have worn um, to brilliant white. Um, it, it's sort of very human and touching that Mark sort of adds this very human detail. You could never wash them that white. That's <laughs> uh, from someone who must have washed clothes uh, at some point. Um, so Jesus is visually uh, transformed before them, which is already incredibly strange. And to make it even stranger, these men who have been dead hundreds of years, or at least who lived hundreds of years before, um, Moses and Elijah, uh, appear and are talking with Jesus. He's seemingly just chatting with them as if it's an ordinary thing to happen. And then a cloud comes and a voice from the sky uh, booms forth. Uh, this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Uh, and, and we all file this, all of these events kind of neatly under this title, The Transfiguration. Um, but these, this is crazy stuff. Uh, this is very dramatic. I, the, as Mark records, Peter, they're all just terrified and are sort of stumbling over themselves. If you ever see um, icon, uh, an icon which represents, uh, paints a picture of this biblical story, you see the disciples sort of falling over at the foot in the very bottom of the icon. They just have no idea what to do um, with what's happening before them. Um, and it's a very significant detail that this event, which we call the Transfiguration, it happens just a little bit before um, Jesus is captured and uh, crucified. It happens just a little bit before the Passion. And it's useful to think, well, why? Why did Jesus choose this moment of, in his whole ministry um, to be transfigured? Why not at the very beginning? Why not when he's standing in front of Pilate? Why this moment? Um, because it's very significant. And to try and answer it, I want to offer sort of a, a, a picture. It's a sports analogy, which is not my strong suit, um, but I hope it will get the point across. Um, so let's say, let's say I told you that this week I'm going to be a part of um, a charity baseball game up in Atlanta. And they've got all these big league players in, and, and I'm going to be up at the plate against, I had to look this up, Clayton Kershaw. Um, um, how do you think I'm going to fare against that 98-mile-an-hour fastball? Not good, right? But now, let me say, let's say I reveal to you that in college, I, little known fact about me, not on my resume, but um, was All-American in college for baseball. N now what do you think about my chances of hitting that ball? They're still not too good. Okay. <laughs> Maybe not. Um, uh, all of a sudden, though, if I revealed that about myself, it would sort of change. Like, oh, maybe he has a chance. You know, the situation ahead looks differently when something is revealed. Now, that's all. None of that's real. Um, I don't think I could hit a t-ball, <laughs> let alone a fastball. Um, but I think sort of this 
structure, this um, narrative, is sort of what's happening here in the life of Jesus. He's revealing something about himself before this uh, great trial comes. He's showing his disciples something that would change their perspective of his suffering that was about to happen. And so it's fitting, right, that we have this Sunday right on the threshold of Lent as we're about to begin a season in which we approach the memory of our Lord's suffering and death through Lent and coming to Holy Week, that right before that we would remember what happened right before it in his earthly ministry, uh, this transfiguration. The way these things connect is that... um, If you saw this happen, this thing which would clearly reveal that this is no ordinary man, right? To see a man have his face shine like the sun and his clothes change and a voice from heaven. um, It would augment how you would interpret what you were seeing a few weeks and months later when Jesus was captured and killed, right? It would seem like, well, this wasn't some accident. This wasn't something which just happened to him against his will. This was this superhuman human this divine human being um, who this happened to, which would again sort of make you see maybe this is intentional, maybe something's happening here, um, which is part of God's plan, not against it. I think that's why Jesus reveals himself in this way to his disciples, is so that they would have that sort of foreknowledge uh, going into the darkest hour of his ministry and of all all their lives. In that also... um, it's sort of almost like a teaser trailer. Jesus gives a glimpse of what it looks like to be a glorified human being. What's on the, the other side of the death he suffered uh, is his resurrection. And he's giving a glimpse of that, sort of almost as a foretaste to say, on the other side of all I'm about to suffer, humanity will be glorified in himself. He will be a radiant being uh, fully and, and eternally. Does that make sense? Like why, you would sort of re- why he'd reveal himself this way before he suffered? Does that structure make sense? Yeah. Okay, good. Um, I also want to say about the transfiguration that it wasn't like some sort of momentary party trick that Jesus was sort of putting on. Um, on the contrary, what appeared before the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration was actually Jesus' ordinary state, which was just veiled the rest of the time. Right? We, we see this when, people, when, when things that are close to God glow with light. We see this when in the angels and when Moses comes down from Mount Sinai. You remember his face was glowing and it was kind of freaking everybody out. So he veiled it. He actually covered the glory um, for, so it wouldn't uh, sort of baffle and confuse the people. And I think it's the same thing with Jesus. He is God and so has all the light and the brilliance of God but he's also man but he kept the glory of God veiled. Uh, so that he would appear just as an ordinary man the rest of the time uh, during his ministry. But he pulls back that veil for a moment to fortify his disciples on the eve of his own suffering. So I think this tells us a lot of things about our Lord. Um, About Jesus, it reveals sort of unequivocally that he's not just some human, some teacher who had some good ideas, that this is... The God-man, this is God himself come to dwell in the flesh, as St. Paul would write to the Church of Colossians in in Colossae. The fullness of God dwelt in him. Uh, Here is the God-man. It also reveals his humility, that he actually does veil his glory most all of the time. That's a very interesting thing uh, for the God-man to do. So it reveals a lot about Jesus, 
But what I want to turn to this morning is it also reveals something about God's work uh, in our lives. Because just like his glory in the person of Jesus, um, God's work in our lives is most of the time fairly invisible to sight. It's veiled while we're walking on this earth. And this is very uh, timely because in just a moment we're going to be celebrating the baptism uh, of baby Booth. And with our eyes, all we're going to see uh, is water poured on a sweet boy's head. That's all we're going to see with our eyes. But from what our Lord has taught, as recorded in the Gospels, through the teaching of the church, that's maintained the teaching of our Lord, um, we know that far more than just water is being poured on a head, that actually the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, is coming to take up residence in little baby Booth's heart. If we saw that with our eyes, we'd be like Peter, like falling over, like, build some monuments. This is crazy what's happening here. Um, But God veils what's happening in the spiritual realm. We don't see it with our eyes just yet. There will be no outward change in baby Booth's life. Nor do we ever get to see into some alternative universe to see how he might have developed differently had he not had the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Because just like Jesus' eternal glory, it's hidden from from plain sight. And provided, um, but I want to say this, it it doesn't remain hidden forever, right? Provided that Booth stays faithful to the Lord uh, through the course of his life as he comes into maturity, what now is hidden will one day be made manifest, as it will for all of us, right, who believe and who have been baptized What's hidden within us right now, as Paul would call it, the guarantee, the deposit of the Holy Spirit, on the last day, when we come before the Lord, when we die, will be made known. It will be brought out, and we will actually ourselves be outwardly transfigured. Jesus is actually giving us a vision of what will happen to all of us as we continue to be brought closer and closer to him, and ultimately on the last day. Um, We will be transformed. We will have bodies that are light and never get sick, which is a nice comfort in flu season, right? Um, and we'll never die and be bright with God's own glory hidden within. Or no longer hidden, but planted within and, and shining forth. We will one day see with our eyes what we now believe in faith. That we who have been washed in the blood of Jesus will be made more bright than any uh, clothes washer could make us, any human washer, as Mark says. We will have the stains of our sin washed away because of his mercies, through his indwelling presence in us, transfiguring us from the inside. If you read those marvelous chapters, uh, 3, 4, and 5, in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, this is his theme. He says, our outer self is wasting away, but our inner self is being renewed day by day. And he talks about sort of this juxtaposition that we call, he calls us jars of clay. Like we're these kind of lumpen vessels which God himself has chosen to indwell. And it's a marvel, that juxtaposition, these frail human creatures that we are. God himself has come to make his home with us. And the sort of double marvel is that through his divine residence, the clay itself will one day be transformed. We will one day be transfigured. As Paul says, 
we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. He's talking about when we die and really the last day when we all come before God together. We are being transformed into the same image as Jesus who we're looking at from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. See how Paul's connecting all these dots through the the divine inspiration that God gave him? It comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, the Spirit who is given to us as a pledge in holy baptism. And these are glorious realities. What we're about to witness with Booth, what we hear about in Holy Scripture about Jesus, and I I thank God for them. Uh, Let me just pray a prayer of thanks. Thank you, Lord, um, for transfiguring your Son. Thank you, Lord, for your hidden work in our lives. But we now see only through uh, fruit and through things that uh, do come forth, but we know that one day you will make fully manifest your presence and your glory in our lives and that you will transform us. You will raise us up from being dead and that we will one day have eternal, bright, glorious bodies just like your Son has right now as he sits with you at your right hand. We thank you, Father, for these glories and we give you glory for your work among us. And we ask that you'd make us uh, more humble and willing and joyful uh, children and servants uh, of this, your work and your glory. We pray this, Father, in the name of your Son who died for us and who is working in our lives, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.